Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, in the newspaper business, the biggest headline, the largest headline you could possibly use is called second coming type font for an obvious reason that it would be used at the uh, second coming of Jesus. Uh, the most cataclysmic, most profound is what second coming typeface is a great example is at the end of World War II, the San Francisco Chronicle used second coming typeface on their cover. Here's what it said, peace, one word, but it takes up uh, half the front page. That's second coming typeface because nothing is bigger. Most people don't know that there are more verses in the Bible about the second coming of Jesus when he comes back in the future than his first coming at Christmas 2,000 years ago. In fact, for every prophecy on the first coming of Christ, there are eight prophecies on the second coming when he comes back again. One in every 25 verses refers to the second coming. Uh, The message is pretty clear in scripture. Christ is coming back again to this earth. I heard about a guy who worked in construction, and he was out of town working a job somewhere. His company had a hotel for him. After a long day of work, he got back to his hotel room, very, very late, just exhausted. He sat down on the edge of his bed, uh, took off his big, heavy construction boot, and dropped it to the ground with a thud. And he thinks, oh, there's most likely someone underneath me in the room below me, so uh, he gently took off the second one and set it down and uh, then he took a shower called his wife climbed into bed just as he's dozing off there's a knock on his hotel room door he goes to it and there stands a man just completely exhausted circles under his eyes and he said would you just let the other shoe drop so I can get some sleep We are all waiting for the other shoe to drop and we expect it more at certain times than others, right? Uh, the generation who lived through a pandemic and World War I, and the Great Depression, World War II, like they were fully expecting this is it. Christ is returning. Uh, the state of Israel and its circumstances play a starring role in Christ's return. So uh, whenever things get weird or when things get bad, uh, we are just more eagerly waiting Uh, for the other shoe to drop. Lauren and I were in Branson earlier this year to see Noah at the Sight and Sound Theater. They routinely do shows on biblical characters, Samson, Jonah, Moses, and we both laughed hard when we saw this sign, Jesus coming next year. (laughs) Another sign said, coming in 2021 to Branson, Missouri. Jesus, the Branson, should have known it. But we're all waiting, we're all waiting for the other shoe to drop. Christ is coming back again. The second coming of Jesus is called the blessed hope. It's called the blessed hope because when you really understand it, it gives you comfort, it gives you strength, it gives you confidence to face the future. Uh, To know that no matter what's going to happen, you know what will ultimately happen. And we may not know when, in fact we don't know when, uh, but we're only getting closer 
And the message today is not to predict a time, that's foolishness. Jesus tells us no one knows when it's going to happen. Uh, This message today is about learning to lean on a promise of Jesus. The night before Jesus was crucified, before he went to the cross, he said this to his disciples. I'm going there, where's there? He's talking about the rooms of his father, he's talking about heaven. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again. This is the greatest promise. And will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you also will be. Did he go? Yes, he did indeed go. Uh, He went after the resurrection. He ascended to heaven. Is he coming back? Absolutely. And what I want to do this Christmas is look at the differences between the first coming of Jesus at Christmas and the second coming uh, that is still to be in the future. And just as there are several events that took place around Christmas and during Christmas, there are several events that happen when Jesus returns. There's the rapture and tribulation and a thousand year reign of Jesus where Satan will be changed. There's judgments, there's celebrations, and we've preached on those events several times and all of what's going to happen in the end times. This week, I simply want to compare the first arrival overall with the second arrival overall. And uh, to start, let's just look at some physical differences. Uh, The first time Jesus' arrival, and you might write this down, it was quiet and slow. Why? Because he came into the world the way we all come into the world, by being born into it. And pregnancy takes nine months. Any woman who's been a mother could tell you a pregnancy is a long, slow arrival. And Jesus came into the world slowly, like we all did. In fact, an angel told Mary, you will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Mary asked, how can this happen, since I'm a virgin? The angel replied, because nothing is impossible with God. Now, even though it's a miraculous birth, it's still a birth that took a long time. It was also very quiet. In fact, almost nobody heard of it. Almost nobody knew that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, had arrived. Most people were oblivious to it. He's born in a small town, a village of Bethlehem. The shepherds were told, you'll find him in Bethlehem as a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Uh, There's no GPS in those days. So they had to give him clues. I love that. Uh, Here's how you'll find him. This is where you'll find him. A specific star was seen in the sky. You know the story of the wise men. Uh, The wise men, they're scholars, astronomers. They see some star. Now, we don't know what that star was. Uh, Some people think it was a comet. Um, God could have created a, a specific star for that event to guide the wise men. But the point is, not even everybody paid attention to it. And the point I want to make is at the first arrival of Jesus Christ on earth, people had to find him. Notice it says, you will find him. So the first time, it's quiet and slow. The next time, though, the entire world will hear it instantly. We don't know when. So three times in scripture, it says, be ready, be ready, be ready. On top of that, we have parables that say, uh, you how to get ready for this and to be ready for Christ coming back because it's going to happen and when it does it's going to be fast 
and it's going to be loud. The second coming of Jesus is very, very loud. It will be the biggest thing to ever happen in history. All of existence is moving toward this climax. First Thessalonians describes it this way, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a, say it with me, a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Uh, now, I don't know what all this means, but I know it's going to be loud. It's not going to be silent night. It's going to be great, loud shout. Yeah, great sound. It will be something that everybody in the world is going to hear. The first Christmas, uh, you know, not only, one will, not only will everyone hear it, but everyone will see it. At the first Christmas, there was a specific star not even everyone noticed. Next time, he'll light up the entire sky. Jesus says, no one will miss this, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, everyone notices when lightning strikes. There's a boom, and you can see it all across the sky. And that's how bright it's going to be when Christ comes back. And not only is Christ bringing light with him when he's coming back, uh, he says he's bringing all of his angels with him. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. This is impressive. Again, uh, we don't know what all this means and we don't know how many this will be. But a lot of people missed Christmas, the first coming of Christ. Nobody is going to miss the second coming of Christ. And it's going to be fast, which means there's no time to change your mind. It's not like, well, once he arrives, then I'll start living, with, or living for him. Once he arrives, then um, I'll reevaluate. No, that's the wrong idea. Now, those are some of the physical differences, but now what I want to focus on is three different reasons. Because the reasons, the purposes for Christ coming the first time, the reasons for Christmas, completely different reasons why Jesus comes back. They're two totally different purposes. You need to know this. You need to understand this. The first time Jesus came, Jesus came to save the world. The angels announced to the shepherds, today a savior for you has been born. By the way, why did he come as a baby? Uh, because he came to save us, not to scare us. Nobody's afraid of a baby. It's not scary Christmas, it's Merry Christmas. And he wanted to communicate, he came to communicate to human beings to save human beings. So he became one of us which means he came into the world like we all did as a baby. And there are a lot of ways Jesus could have come 2,000 years ago and scared us all to death. Uh, but Jesus tells us why he came in John chapter 3. I love this every time. Would you read it out loud with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The only way you and I are getting saved, the only way you and I are going to heaven, is by way of a savior. Because heaven's perfect and we need a savior. All right, come on, you and I can't even solve our own problems, much less save ourselves. And without a savior, I'm blind, I'm lost. I'm spiritually dead. I need, I needed someone to come 
and find me. Someone to come and do what I could not do, which is live a perfect life. Someone to die in my place. Someone to rise again so I could be brought to life. By the way, that's the picture of what baptism is, that I'm identifying with Jesus. That just like Jesus went down, my sin's going down. Just like Jesus came up from the grave, I'm coming back up to live a new life in Jesus' name. And obviously, Jesus believes there is something we need to be saved from. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone through with it. God created you. He wants to save you. He wants you with him in heaven. But you have to make that choice. Do you know what keeps people out of heaven? It's not this sin, that specific sin. It's pride. Pride is what keeps people out of heaven. To say, I don't need God in my life. To say, I don't need a savior. He sent one, but I don't need him. And because of that, the next time Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to save. Uh, The people who have, have been saved, they'll already have been saved because they trusted in him. The first time Jesus came to save the world, the next time he's coming back to judge the world. When Jesus comes back, he'll either be your savior or he'll be your judge. You choose which one he'll be. Now, there are a lot of people who think uh, they're getting away with stuff because it's in secret. Like, nobody knows what I've done. Uh, But there's nothing in your life that's a secret. God knows all the good things that you do that you think no one notices, no one cares about. He sees it. He cares. And God knows all the bad things that you think no one notices and no one knows about. And the Bible says that one day there's going to be a day of accountability. There's going to be a day of judgment. Because God is a God of love, he's also a God of justice, which means when something's not fair, he's going to correct it. If something's not right, uh, he's going to make it right. And if there's evil out there, he's going to defeat it. It's not going to go on forever. In Acts 17, 31, it says, for he has set a day for judging the world, I love this, with justice. God is a fair judge. Humans are not. Even the courts sometimes get it wrong, but God is totally impartial, and he'll judge the entire human race with justice. He'll set everything right. Everything wrong will be made right by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Jesus Christ. God is just and fair, which means wrongs must be righted, evil must be punished. Why is there evil in the world? God allows evil in this world right now to give you a choice. Uh, If you had no choice to reject God, uh, you wouldn't be able to say that you really choose him, that you really worship him, that you love him. One day, wrongs will have to be righted and evil will be punished. Thank God. I think we're all looking forward to that. Uh, Do you ever wonder why you have this sense of justice in you? that some things are wrong, it's because God made you in his image and God is a just God. And so you have this sense of right and wrong put in you. And people will say, uh, well, just be a kind person. Be a good person. You don't have to believe in God. Just be a good person. Well, where do you think the sense that something is bad came from? Where do you get your sense of what is good? It comes from God. It comes from your creator. People say, well, I don't care what you believe as long as you're not hurting anyone. That statement is so selfish. 
Because what if you're hurting yourself by believing what you believe? I care what you believe because I care about you. And, and we say, well, just as long as you're not hurting anyone, well, where did we just decide what is hurtful? How are we all supposed to agree on what's hurtful and what's not? It, it came hardwired in us. We came hardwired with a sense of love and justice that comes from our creator, God. And one day, Jesus is going to come back and say, enough of people using the image of God for this. It can't continue throughout eternity, and he'll put an end to evil. He'll put an end to what is hurtful. In Romans 2, it says, God will reward or punish every person for what that person has done. Some people, by always continuing to do good, live for God's glory, for honor, and for life that has no end. God will give them life forever. But other people are selfish. They refuse to follow truth and instead follow evil. God will give them his punishment, and anger. And you might say, well, you know, I, um, I'm not sure I, whether I'm going to be punished or rewarded. I've been selfish. I, I haven't always obeyed God. And I would say, welcome to the club. That is 100% of us. None of us are without sin. We've all sinned. But praise God, Christ came at Christmas to save us. And whoever turns to him now will be saved. The first time Jesus came, uh, he came to die for our sins. So I don't have to die for him. And you don't have to die for him. That's why he loves you so much. He is just. In Ephesians 1.5, it says God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. He decided this in advance Meaning before the universe was created, before he created the earth, God decided he wanted to do this. You know, why doesn't God just make us and then take us immediately to heaven? Uh, because then we would not be human. Human beings have a choice. And so he says his unchanging plan from the very beginning was to adopt us into his family. Uh, only God's family is going to be in heaven. Not everybody. Jesus came to die for you the first time so he could adopt you. He wants to adopt you into his family through Jesus Christ. The first time he came was to die for our sins. He's, he's not coming back to do that again. He's not coming back to save and to die for us again. He's coming back again with a specific purpose. He's coming to gather his family. Why is he coming back for the second time? He, he's coming to gather his family to make things right. And it's going to be billions who've put their faith and trust in Jesus. Matthew 24, 31, Jesus says, And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. So everyone is loved and created by God, but not everybody's in his family. The only way you get in the family is by being adopted into it. How? When you turn to Jesus Christ. You don't work for it. You don't earn your way into it. That's not how families work. You're never going to deserve it. It's a free gift of God's grace, but you've got to accept it. Who is God's family, by the way? It's the church. 
Jesus said he came to build his church. God's family is the church. And yeah, they might have all different kinds of names and denominations and whatever. But at the end of the day, there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And the people who put their trust in him, that's God's family. And you might say, well, God's family, the church, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, there are hypocrites everywhere, in every group, in every organization, in every family. I just want to be a saved hypocrite. Uh, No one does what they say they will do all the time. In fact, that's the problem, is that we don't even live up to our own expectations, let alone God's. We say we'll do one thing, we do another. We, we do what we don't want to do all the time. And fortunately, God saves people like that. Fortunately, God saves sinners. And really, there's only two kinds of people. The people who admit that they don't have it all together, and they admit it, I need a savior. And those who don't have it all together and won't admit it, and they live in denial. But God's family is the church, and you want to be a part of God's family. Here's the fourth difference. It's the first time Jesus came in humility. No royal robes, a baby in a manger, something cows eat out of. Not everyone honored him, just the shepherds and the wise men. And even when Jesus grew up, he's walking around doing his ministry. Many didn't believe him until after the resurrection. Uh, many of those that followed him, they weren't true followers. They didn't even understand why he'd come. They thought, they thought he was going to do all of this right then. He thought he was going to overtake Rome, start in on judgment, that he was going to do all of this in that first coming. They, they, Jesus disappointed a lot of people. And when Jesus died, they were confused. Then he rose from the dead and they go, oh, he was telling the truth. He only had a a few true followers before the resurrection. Then after the resurrection, hundreds of people saw him and believed. Then thousands, then millions, and now billions of Christ followers on the earth. The resurrection is what made all the difference. But before, very few people accepted him. In fact, the Bible says in the book of John, the one who is true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. They didn't receive him. They rejected him. But next time when he's coming back, he won't be honored by a few. Everyone will honor him, because next time he's coming as king and lord of all. Today, after the message, we'll sing of Jesus as King of Kings, and then we'll sing Joy to the World, which I love. We sing it at Christmas, but it's not, a, it's not about the first coming. It's about the second coming. It's about what it'll be like when Christ comes back. And it's interesting, the difference between the first and second coming. The first coming, remember, there's no room for Jesus. No room in the inn. <laughs> but the second coming, everybody is making room for Jesus. In Romans 14, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. The first coming of Jesus was predicted for thousands of years, and many people thought it would never happen. And now there are even more promises in the Bible that he's coming back a second time. Everyone will acknowledge God 
and there will be an end to evil and to pain. And I think that means the most to me as a pastor because I deal almost every day with the effects of evil in people's lives. I see the pain that uh, the evil of other people and the evil in ourselves causes. And if there were no evil in the world, there'd be no suffering in the world. There'd be no sorrow, there'd be no sadness, there'd be no sickness, no stress. It's all because we've gone our own way instead of God's. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to put an end to illness, to all hopelessness, all betrayals, all cancer, all death, deformities, defects, dementia, depression, disappointment, and on and on and on. I'm looking forward to the second coming of Christ because it's going to be the end of pain. It will be the end of pain. There will be no pain in heaven when God is Lord of all and everything is the way he wants it. Jesus is coming back again. I think the big question is, how do I get ready? How do I get ready? I want to close with three very powerful passages from the Bible that tell us how to get ready. Here's the first one, Titus 2, 12 through 13. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. I love this because many people think, well, if I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to become some religious fanatic, some weirdo that nobody ever wants to talk to. No, you'll have wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's patience. It's joy. I mean, who, who doesn't? Everyone wants to live like this. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. In Philippians, it says this, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. I'm glad that this is not my true home. I'm glad I'm a citizen of heaven, that I'm not gonna live forever on this earth the way it is, that, that God will bring this earth under his rule and reign. I wanna live forever just not like this. I don't want to spend forever in this body with these people. Not these people, but these people, you know? <laughs> I'm looking forward to a glorious body with God's family, the people who have chosen him. And you say, well, why hasn't he coming back yet? Is he just being lazy? Is he watching TV? Why? It's been 2,000 years. Why doesn't he come back already? I'll tell you what. He's still building his family. He wants you in it. You ought to be grateful he hasn't come back yet. He's waiting for you. God planned your birth. He created you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants someone from every tribe, nation, and tongue in heaven. And he wants you to accept him into your life. Uh, you're not waiting on him for the second coming. He's waiting on you. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. God doesn't want to have to judge people. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He's giving more time for everyone to repent. 
And that's why he hasn't come back yet. How many more Christmases are you going to go through before you accept the gift that your past is forgiven? You have a purpose for living. You have a home in heaven. And I want to invite you to give your life to your creator, to give your life to Jesus Christ this Christmas. Not because you're going to die tonight. You probably won't. But because you've got to live tomorrow. And you need to be connected to the creator who made you. How do you get ready for the second coming of Christ? How do I get ready? Write this down. It's just what these three passages have, have said. We live for Christ looking forward. Live for him looking forward with a sense of expectation, with a sense of hope, with a sense that no matter what happens in your life, you know ultimately what will happen because you have trusted him. I'd love to pray for you. Would you bow your head? This Christmas, would you receive the gift of God's love and grace uh, so that you can be ready when Christ comes back? If you've already done that, uh, would you just pray for the people around you, pray for the people watching online who will hear this message this week? And it really doesn't matter the specific words you say, what matters is your attitude of humility right now. Just pray to God, God, I want to be ready. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for loving me, even when I'm unlovable. And God, thank you for sending yourself to earth as Jesus Christ to die for my sins so I don't have to die for them. And Lord, as much as I know how, I'm asking you to come into my life to fill me with your love, to fill me with your peace, to fill me with your purpose. I want to accept today that my past is forgiven. I want to know my purpose for living. And I want to accept the home in heaven. So today, on this Christmas week, I'm asking you, Jesus Christ, to accept me into your family. Not because I deserve it, but because of your grace. Lord, forgive me. Fill me. Use me the way you have planned me to, me to be used. God, I humbly ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.